welcome to the Fun of the Run podcast. I'm Michelle, your host. I'm also known as Waddell Running Lady on Instagram. You can catch me over there pretty much daily talking about my running journey. I share reels. I share tips. I share the good, the bad, and the ugly about being a runner. I am a plus-sized runner. And honestly, most of the time, I'm proud of that fact. Um, I also am not a fast runner. So, you know, sometimes there are struggles along the way. You will read all about that if you follow me over on Instagram. Feel free to shoot me a message over there, direct message at Instagram um, at Waddell Running Lady, or I have an email specifically for this podcast, which is funoftherunpodcast at gmail.com. You can shoot me ideas for future episodes. Tell me what I missed in this episode that you're getting ready to listen to. Just chat and say hi, ask any questions, comments, criticisms, concerns. I'm here for it all. And I just want to say thank you so much for being here. Okay, without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. This episode is called So You Want to Run a Marathon. It's episode 11 of the Fun of the Run podcast, and it's going to be talking about everything you didn't know that you really needed or wanted to know about running a half or a full marathon for the very first time. So I hope you enjoy. All right, before we get into the nitty gritty of today's episode, I wanted to say thank you so much for your patience. Uh, Last week, we did not have a new episode uploaded. We had a We call it a camp meeting at our church. That's kind of an old-fashioned term, but we had what probably people nowadays would call a convention or a conference of sorts. And so basically, it was Wednesday night through Sunday night. We had two services a day, Um, and for the past about 15 years, I have helped with the noon meal. So I would get to the church at about 9 in the morning and work, you know, through the morning and through that whole morning service, and then probably leave at around two in the afternoon, maybe three, just depending on how long, you know, cleanup takes or whatever. So I've been doing that for many years. Well, the caveat for this year was our pastor's wife, who is in charge of the kitchen, had a medical emergency the night before this big conference started. So That left me in charge of the noon meal for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, which is fine. I've I've been working in there for all these years. I know what's what, but there's a huge difference when if the kitchen burns down or the food tastes nasty or it's not ready in time or it's cold or there's not enough or somebody gets food poisoning, usually that would be somebody else's fault. But this year, it would have been my fault. (laughs) And so that added a little bit of, you know, um, spiciness, okay, to the week. And there was just no way that I was going to be able to record a new episode of the podcast with with all of that going down. Well, fast forward to the following week, which was this last week, the last week of April. And my daughter got called for jury duty. So she's Miss Esri's mommy. And so she ended up actually getting chosen to sit on a jury for a trial. So I had Miss Esri for, let's see, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, which I enjoyed every second. But it's kind of difficult to record a podcast with a 
16-month-old running around your house. So that is why I am so late in in getting another episode to you. And so I just really appreciate your patience. Okay, here goes nothing. I had a wonderful follower ask me to put out an episode about running a race for the first time. And so shout out to Rowena. I don't want to say perfect, but really really in a good place for my long runs and for my races. And so I, and like I said, I've done a ton of research. I've talked to a lot of people, but that does not make me an expert. And also we're all individuals. So something that I share today may hit you wrong, or you may be like, oh, I could never do that. Well, make sure you go into your own research too, and find something that works for you specifically, because just because I'm telling you what works for me does not mean it will be something that will work for you. So just keep that in mind as we go along. Okay, so first of all, I want to just say congratulations. And I think it's amazing that you're getting ready to start training for your first half or your first full marathon. My life has not been the same since I started training for distance races. And it has been, well, my life hasn't been the same since I became a runner five years ago, training for my first 5K. But I would have to say that especially once I started training for my first half and even more so when I started training for my first full and once I crossed those finish lines, honestly, it, it changes you and there's just no way that it, that it won't. And so I wanted to share a few statistics with you. I got these statistics from Amanda Brooks. You can find her on Instagram at run to the finish. And she is a running coach. She has a lot of awesome information and posts that she puts out. And in one of her most recent ones, she had these statistics listed. 0.01% of the world's population has run a marathon. Less than 1% of Americans have run a marathon. The average women's mile pace for the 26.2 mile distance is 1141. So 11 minutes, 41 seconds per mile. And the average age of a marathon runner is 40 years old, which I think that's really cool. I did not get statistics for half marathoners, but I will say that the half marathon is a more popular distance than the full marathon. And so I would imagine these percentages are higher than they are for the full marathon. Even so, half marathoners are a rare breed. I guarantee if you go out and talk to the vast majority of people and you tell them that you ran a half marathon, they're going to be like, wait, what? You did what? It's not something that most people ever even attempt to do. And so you're awesome. That's basically what I'm trying to say is you're awesome for for taking this on and for having such a lofty goal. It's amazing. And I fully believe you're going to love every minute of it. All right. So first of all, let's talk about training plans. When you set out to run a half marathon or a full marathon, you really do need a training plan. And You can't just willy, okay, I don't want to say you can't. I I don't know about you, but I have watched YouTube videos. There was this like 20-year-old guy. He's like, hey, I signed up for this marathon today. I'm going to just go run it. And I mean, you should have seen what the guy looked like at the end of the marathon. He did finish it. His feet were all bloody. I mean, he was just a mess. He didn't train a bit. So I don't want to tell you you can't finish a marathon or a half marathon without training because 
there are people that can, but don't do that. Don't be that person. (laughs) Okay. Get yourself a training plan. When I ran my first half marathon, I used something called the Nike Run Club app. It's a free app available on Google Play or uh, the Apple Store. And it's just a little, has a little black and white icon that says NRC. And back in 20, I guess it would have been the end of 2018, the beginning of 2019 when I was using it for the very first time, you can put input your race date and how many times a week you want to run. And basically, I think how many rest days you want to have. I can't quite remember everything. It asks you for a recent 5K time. If you don't have one, you can just say, hey, I don't have one. And it basically puts together this plan for you specifically. Now, when I used it back a few years ago, it would basically, it would roll with whatever pace I was running. So when you go out to do your run, you turn on the Nike Run Club app and it's tracking you as you're running and it sees your paces and how far you're running and all of that. And it would adapt over time and put paces specific for you. I don't think it does that anymore, but it does give you at least, from what I understand, it gives you like what your perceived effort needs to be, you know, so run this pace, run this type of pace, or, you know, do this run in this way, and it gives you direction. I still highly recommend that app, and I know people that are using it. I think that's a very good place to start for your first half marathon specifically because it's free and it's just kind of lets you play around with things and see what it's about, and it will get you to the start line and it will get you to the finish line of your of your half marathon. Absolutely. Now, there are also free plans available online. I have never used free online plans. I'm sure there there are also paid plans that you can buy online. The thing about those is they are not custom to you. They are just kind of a cookie cutter plan. And so I I don't know how I really feel about that. I've never used any of those. I'll just put that out there. But those are options. When I ran my first full marathon, I fully intended to use the Nike Run Club app for that as well. Back then, they also had a full marathon plan that would adapt to each runner individually. I was going to use that, but as I started calculating and things like that, I realized that I was going to come very close to the cutoff and that I may not make it. So that is when I reached out to run for PRs and my coach Ben Jacobs, that's when everything kind of started with that. And I actually hired a running coach to help me get to the start line healthy and get to the finish line of my first marathon. With that being said, you do not have to have a running coach to run your first marathon or your first half marathon. You do not need to have a coach. You don't need to hire a coach. You don't ever need to hire a coach to be a runner. That this is just something that I did and I realized that I I am privileged to be able to keep a running coach each month um, even when I'm not racing. It's a blessing that I'm thankful that my husband is on board with and I'm able to just even when I'm building my base vials before a race or before a training cycle, I'm able to have a coach that plugs my workouts into the Training Peaks app each month. And I know what I'm doing on a daily basis. So there are other options, though. There are all kinds of different popular plans. Um, There's the Hal Higdon method. 
There is the Jeff Galloway method, which is a run-walk method. There are the fast fall training plans available on Instagram at Track Club Babe and her husband, Tunderface. They put out plans um, for marathon training, for 5K training, I believe for half marathon training. Check out Track Club Babe on Instagram and you can check out their plans. I've heard great things about those. And so just do some research and find something that works for you. Um, those are just some ideas that I'm throwing out there, but please, please find a training plan. Okay. Find a training plan. You need it. It's important to build your miles gradually and not just do this thing willy nilly. I'm assuming that if you're training for your first half or your first full, this is not just a, I'm going to just do this once. You probably are a serious runner or wanting to become one. So do things right off the bat. Okay. So you've got your training plan. Another thing to think about, let's say you've got your training plan in place, most likely you're going to find that there are some cross-training days involved in that training plan. Now, cross-training is it's not running and it's not strength training, but cross-training is basically another form of activity that also builds your aerobic base like running does, but without the impact, that high impact that running is. So the typical three that I hear coaches recommend for their runners on cross training days are cycling, swimming, and the elliptical. Now, those are not the only ones. I know a lot of people use rowing machines as cross training. People hike as cross training. So it's basically, it is cardio. It's something else cardio-based that will get your heart pumping, but is lower impact than running, if that makes sense. So a good training plan will have you running, it will have you cross training, and it will also have you taking very minimum one rest day. Probably if you're just starting out at your very first marathon or your very first half, you're probably going to have more than one rest day per week. When I ran my first half marathon, I had two cross training days. And I can't remember if I had two rest days. I, I think it was two cross training days, two rest days and three days of running for my first half. When I did my first marathon training, I think I had two cross training days, one rest day and four days of running. And again, like I said, this is highly individualized. I'm just telling you that's that was my experience. So that's basically what cross training is. And that is absolutely a very important part of any half marathon or marathon training plan. Now, when you get to the, you've got your race, okay, you decide I want to do such and such half marathon. When you sign up for a race, a lot of races have a third party company that registers their participants. One I can think of off the top of my head is runsignup.com. And runsignup.com will have some race information, but there's typically a link there that takes you to the actual event website. You definitely want to visit that event website. I try to do it before I register for a race, unless I know the race that I'm signing up for. If it's a new race for me, I will click on that event website and I will go through everything. When I look at a race, I want to know well, probably the first thing I want to know is what is the course cutoff time? Like how long do I have to complete this 13.1 miles or this 26.2 miles? I want to know that I have enough time to finish this race. Um, I'm specifically a slow runner. And so I know that I need, I need time. I don't want to go 
into this race feeling stressed. That's just me. So I look at the course cutoff. I look at the aid stations, the placement of the aid stations. How many are there? What do they serve at those aid stations? And I also want to know if the shirt's ugly. Is the race shirt ugly? I mean, that's not ever stopped me from running a race. But if the shirt is available to see, I like to see what the shirt is that I'm getting or the medal is that I'm getting. And I like to just kind of check everything out about the race. I want to know the terrain. Is this going to be a pave on pavement? Am I going to be running on gravel, on dirt, on trail? You know, is it in the park setting? Where Where is this race happening? Is it going to be loops or is it an out and back? Is it a point to point race? And so a race website is really good to give you all kinds of information that maybe you didn't even know you needed before you sign up for a race. If there is something that you cannot find on that page, see if there is an FAQ page where there are questions that have been asked and sometimes you can get answers there. If not, do not be embarrassed to reach out to the race director. There's typically always some kind of a contact button or an email address available and just ask your questions. I have done this multiple times and it's always been helpful. And sometimes there's just something on there that you want to know and you can't find the answer. There's nothing wrong with doing that. That's absolutely acceptable. Reach out and ask and that way you can feel confident and comfortable before you put your money towards registration. All of the races that I've done so far have bibs and you all know what a bib is. It has your number, race number on it. Most of the bibs nowadays have the timing chip right on the back of that bib. They're usually on there with tape or somehow they're stuck on there. And, it, you know, it'll usually say, don't tamper with this. Don't pull it off, whatever. There are some races that have timing chips that actually tie into your shoelace or somewhere on your foot. They'll tell you where they want you to place it. But all of races are going to have a some kind of timing chip or tracking device where they can see where the, the runners are out on the course at any given time and know how many runners are still out there and make sure nobody's missing. And also so they can, you know, know who's who's winning this thing and and awards and all of that. So when you typically when you run a race, you want to wear that bib on the front of your person and on your outermost layer of clothing. You can wear it on top or or you can wear it on your top or you can wear it on your shorts or your tights, whatever. But typically, a race will ask that you wear it on the front of your body. Now, I'm saying that when I just was looking at the posts for Cocodona 250, which started this morning, which is so awesome. How epic would that of a race would that be to run someday? 250 miles. Can you imagine? But a lot of those participants had their bibs on on their backpacks on their. So you're going to have to go pick your bib up, right? A lot of times, the bigger the race the more opportunities that you will have to go pick your bib up. So I'm thinking Chicago Marathon. Chicago Marathon, when I ran that, I think the expo was like three days. When I ran Long Beach Marathon, it was one day. Mesa Marathon, their expo is one day. You typically, it seems like the bigger the race, you have more opportunities. Sometimes you have a few different opportunities to pick your bib up and your shirt or whatever goodies, race goodies that you get before the race starts. But some races, you do not have those opportunities. Some races, you pick your bib up the morning of the race. So that's something else to look at when you're signing up for your race, when you are on that race website. Take a look and see what opportunities do I have to pick my bib up. Is there an expo? 
Is there not an expo? Some half marathons and many full marathons do have expos ahead of the race, ahead of race day. Typically, it's the day before. And an expo is basically, well, it's an exposition. So it's a big, sometimes big, sometimes not that big. It really depends on how large the race is. An expo is where all different vendors are set up. So you can purchase things. You can purchase uh, race gear. You can purchase um, just race gear in general, but also a lot of times race gear that's specific to the race that you're running. There, a lot of times they'll sell gels and goos and, and fueling that runners use while they're running the races. A lot of times you can buy shoes, um, you know, compression socks running belts, all kinds of things usually, and also just samples and things like that. So that's just something else to keep in mind. You can check all of that out at the race website. Is there an expo or is there not? Just that leads me right into telling you this. A lot of expos will have um, samples for you to try, unless that is something that you have tried before. I probably would not sample a whole lot at an expo the day before a race specifically because you don't want to try anything new that's going to upset your stomach right before race day. So you've heard it said many times, nothing new on race day. That goes for fueling, that goes for hydration, that goes for clothing, for shoes, for so many things. You don't want to try anything new on race day. Trust me, I have done it a couple of different times I can think of and it never went well. So take my word for it, learn from my mistakes, and don't do anything new on race day. All right, so going along with that, if you are going to be running a half marathon or a marathon, I hope that you have gone to your local running store and gotten fitted for running shoes that are specifically for you. Now, what I mean by that is not that they have your name on them and, you know, they're custom made for you or whatever, but a lot of running stores, my local running store, Tortoise and Hare Sports, they will give you an evaluation when you come in. It takes about an hour. They pull out the old iPad and they film you walking. They film you running back and forth. They see whether or not you pronate. They put you on this machine barefooted and it kind of, it shows up all of the pressure points on the bottom of your feet and lets them know whether or not you need insoles or orthotics. And once this whole evaluation is done, they can recommend certain types of shoes specifically for you. I wear stability shoes. A lot of people can wear neutral shoes and it just really depends on how you run and whether or not you pronate, things like that. So a lot of times at the end of this evaluation, it'll be like, they'll tell you, hey, you know, well, I've got this shoe, maybe it's Brooks and this is a, a Hoka or whatever. And, you know, these are both going to do about the same, but try them on, see which one feels better, you know, and, and just kind of give you some options. And, and that evaluation is free. Running shoes are expensive. I'm very well aware of that fact. If you cannot afford to buy the shoes that they recommend there, I still recommend going in and getting fitted so that you know what type of shoe that you need. And then try to find something online, you know, that's similar or try to see if you can find um, last year's model of the shoe they recommended 
you know, online or something. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's just very important that you're running in the right shoes. And again, don't let race day be the first time you're wearing those new shoes. Make sure that you break them in ahead of time on a couple of your runs, maybe even a couple of your long runs so that you know what you're getting into. So we've talked about picking up your bib. We've talked about getting fitted for running shoes. Another option that you can consider before you even get to race day is whether or not you want to run with a pace group. Not all marathons and half marathons have pace groups, but many of them do. Many of the larger ones do. So again, I'm thinking of Mesa Marathon. Mesa Marathon has a half marathon and a full marathon taking place at the exact same time on the exact same course. So it starts at 6.30 in the morning. At 6.30 in the morning, the marathon runners are lined up at the starting line. 13.1 miles away, exactly at the halfway point, all of the half marathoners are lined up at 6.30 in the morning. The gun goes off and they both start at the exact same time. There, that's just how that specific race goes. But both of those distances have pace groups and what a pace group is, if you look at that race website that I already told you about earlier, there will be a list of here are the pace groups available for the marathon, for the half marathon. You know, maybe there's a pace group for an hour and 45 minutes for the half. And there will probably be several other pace groups available. For the full marathon, there will be more, even more available. And Typically, there will be all kinds of pace groups available. I know for sure that Mesa Marathon has now has a pace group for the very back of the pack, which is six hours and 30 minutes. That's the course cutoff. They now have a pace group for that. When you run with a pace group, there will be at least one, if not two, runners called pacers. They'll usually be carrying a sign or maybe have something on the back of their shirt and the front of their shirt that shows the pace they are running and their estimated, the estimated time it's going to take them to complete the distance that they're running, that they're pacing you for. So some people really like pace groups. Some people don't. My coach, Ben Jacobs, um, he doesn't specifically care for them. Uh, he pretty much always recommends that I run my own race. He's not completely opposed. If I thought that would help me, he would be okay with it. But you have to do what's right for you. If you start out with a pace group, you do not have to stay with the pace group. That's absolutely not a requirement. So just think about that too. Uh, that's just something to consider and something else that you can find ahead of time at the race website or, and also if there's an expo at that race, you'll be able to find information about pace groups at that expo and sign up for a specific pace group as well. Okay, so let's talk about actually getting to the race. So let's say you are, you pulled up and you're in the parking lot and you've got your bib and, and you're ready to go. And it's the morning of your first half marathon or your first full marathon. Well, that's awesome that you've made it through all your training and you're here. You're at the starting line. Take a look around at all the awesome people around you because they're here doing great things too. Some of these people are going to be just like you and running this distance for the first time. And some of these people are going to be seasoned pros, you know, and they've done this a million times and they know this course like the back of their hand and they know this distance like the back of their hand. 
But one thing to keep in mind that you all will have in common that day is it's a new day and you don't ever know what a specific day is going to hold. You can feel great and blow your goals out of the water or you can have a not so great day. And so be kind to yourself. When you get to the starting line, there's going to, especially if you're at a very big race, there's going to be a lot of adrenaline and a lot of energy and the national anthem maybe and, and people jumping around warming up. And when that starting gun goes off, there's going to be a temptation, even if you're not a fast runner, there's going to be a temptation to go out too fast. You want to try to hold yourself back if at all possible. I am still learning this. When I, especially when I'm at a really big race, Chicago is one that I can think of for sure. The temptation is, you know, you're in this big, huge pack of runners and you want to stay with this big, huge pack of runners. And you'll look down at your watch and be like, this is not even close to the pace that I am supposed to be running. And yet it feels good and you're excited and and you just want to keep going. Well, my recommendation is slow down because you have a long ways to go and you want to feel strong throughout that whole distance that you're running, whether that be a half or a full. You want to be able to leave some gas in the tank and not you know, put yourself out there in that first mile or two or three. So guaranteed, if you slow down and you get to a comfortable pace, maybe even the pace that you plan to maintain for the race, there will come a point in the race where you start passing some of those people that went out too fast. That's just inevitably how it works. So try to hold yourself back you are running your own race here. This is your first time running this distance. It's going to automatically be a personal best because you've never run this distance before. You've never done this before. So it's automatically going to be a great day for you in that sense. But you are running your own race. You're competing with yourself. Everybody around you is has their own story and they're doing something different. Don't worry about them. Worry about you and having a great race. Okay. When you are at a half marathon or a full marathon, there will be aid stations most of the time. I haven't run a race yet that didn't have aid stations. Sometimes on my trail races, it was literally just a jug of water sitting on the side of the trail. But there have always there's always been some type of aid station. Again, check your race website and make sure that you're going to have aid stations. So depending on the race that you're running, if it's a little race, a big race, that does make a difference um, on the aid stations a lot of times. Also, trail races tend to have more substantial food options at aid stations than road races do. But again, you can find that information on your race website or by reaching out. So uh, it's a good idea to know what is available at the aid stations along the way. Sometimes you will literally just have electrolytes and water. Sometimes there will be medical help at, at certain aid stations. Sometimes you'll be able to find biofreeze, Vaseline for chafing, um, goos, gels, that kind of thing. So it's good to know what is being offered. And, and here's another reason why. When I ran my first marathon, um, they were using Gatorade as the hydration on the course, Gatorade and water. 
I went ahead and drank the Gatorade, but it made me really sick. I wasn't used to training with Gatorade. So my point being, if you know what is being offered on the course ahead of time, you can decide for yourself whether you want to train with that hydration, Gatorade, Powerade, Noon, whatever they offer on course, or if there's something that you know agrees with your stomach and you're able to carry your own hydration, you can do that and just skip theirs. You you can still get the water at the aid stations, but you don't have to depend on them for your electrolytes. So that's something else to keep in mind. All right. Um, be careful when you approach aid stations. Sometimes they're on both sides of the road. Sometimes they're only on one side of the road. You don't want to just come to a complete stop and have the people piling up behind you running into your back when you come to a sudden stop. Just, you know, kind of move your way quickly through the aid station. There's nothing wrong with, you know, stopping to walk through an aid station. Just look around you before you do and make sure you're not going to cause a traffic jam. Sometimes aid stations are sticky on the ground around there. Sometimes there's cups all over. You just watch your footing. That's especially specific to really big races. Chicago Marathon, the ground was slippery. The ground was sticky. There were cups all over. Um, and I don't say that in any way to dish Chicago Marathon, but it's a huge marathon. There were 40,000 people running. So there was a lot of hydration happening on that course. So just keep that in mind as well. A few things about race day etiquette when you're out on the course, if you need to stop and walk, a lot of times the kind of universal signal is to raise your hand so people know, okay, this person is getting ready to walk. And then you move off to the side of the course and start walking. Now, I would say you do not have to do that all of the time. It really depends on where you are on the course and, and you know, who you're running with. If I'm, if everybody around me is run walking and it's, you know, they're walking and then they're running for a little bit and then they walk again, most people aren't signaling that they're going to walk. We all are doing the same thing and pretty much nobody signals. But if you're in a pack of runners and you suddenly decide you're going to walk, you don't want to just suddenly stop, walk, stop, start walking and stop running. You want to signal that you're going to be walking and move off to the side just to avoid being trampled or, you know, causing a, a problem. So that's just something to keep in mind as well. When you're on the course, sometimes there will be, you'll need to kind of weave around a little bit in and out of people. And just one thing to keep in mind is you are running a long way today, whether that's 13.1 miles or 26.2 miles. You are asking a lot of your body. And this is the first time that your body is doing this. It's already going to be a strain on your body in a good way. But you want to avoid unnecessary weaving in and out of people, if, if at all possible. Sometimes you have to weave some. You know, you need to get around this group of walkers. Uh, they're going too slow and you need to run past them and you've got to weave around them. Or sometimes you see a good pocket right there and, and you want to get to it. So I'm not saying don't weave at all, but just try to avoid unnecessary weaving because that's just going to burn even more energy and you're already expending a lot of energy today. Think about the turns when you turn. Some courses are straight. Some courses you make a lot of turns and you don't want to make huge wide turns if you can help it. Sometimes you can't help it. There's so many people you're going to have to make those turn wide. But if you can make a sharper turn, it's going to save you 
uh, just a little bit of mileage. You want you don't really want to run 27 and a half miles if you don't have to when your race is 26.2 miles. So just something else to keep in mind. All of this, again, is very relative. You may not encounter any of these things. If you are at a very small race, some of this is not even going to apply. Uh, one time I ran a trail marathon. I'm sorry, a trail half marathon. There were 35 of us. I started in last place. I ended in last place. No biggie. There's just a jug of water on the side of the road. I didn't have to deal with any of these things that I'm telling you about. So it's very relative to the race that you're running, but I'm just kind of throwing some things out there at you. Okay, so you are running this race. You are approaching the finish line and you run across the finish line. You're a rock star. You feel amazing. Somebody is going to hand you a medal. Most most of the time, they don't put the medal around your neck. I've, that's happened to me maybe about a handful of times. Most of the times, they hand you your medal. You want to keep walking through the finish area. You don't want to stop and block other runners behind you. You also don't want to stop and just lay on the ground. I mean, obviously, if you have to, that's different. But if you can, keep going, keep moving. It'll help your body. It'll help recovery. It'll help you not get stiff as quickly. It'll help your muscles feel better if you can move a little bit after you're done running. The temptation is going to be to just crumple in a heap and sit down and relax, but you want to keep going if you can, um, because you're probably already going to have a ride home where you're going to, you know, try to get out of the car and you're going to feel stiff anyways. So it's better to keep going through that finish line, if at all possible. Okay, so... Before I go into um, fueling for these kinds of races, I want to talk about goals. When you run a distance for the first time, your goal should be to finish. And honestly, that's probably the only goal that you should have. When I ran my very first, I think, half marathon, I want to say, I don't think I had three goals, but I know I had at least a couple. One of them was, I want to finish this thing and I don't want to be last. When I ran my first 5K, my goals were I want to finish this thing, I want to run the whole time, and I don't want to be last. So pretty much every race I run, I have two goals specifically, which are already mentioned, finish and don't be last. Those are honestly the only goals that I usually laser focus on. Sometimes I have a, a time goal, um, but a lot of times I, I don't, and that's okay. If you do, that's okay too. But just keep in mind, a lot of people, for the first time, they will just have a goal of finishing. When you come back for your next one, sometimes a lot of people will do an A, B, and C goal. If it's a great day, I want to hit goal A. If it's an okay day, I want to hit goal B. If it's not that great, I want to hit goal C. And sometimes you won't hit any of them. Sometimes you'll hit them all. So that's just something else to keep in mind, too. Okay. Your goals are your goals, and don't worry about anybody else's in that sense. Your goals are what matter to you, and this is your race, and it's your pace, and you want to do it your way, okay? All right, so quickly, I'm going to talk about fueling. It, this kind of goes back to nothing new on race day. You want to practice your race day fueling plan in the long runs leading up to race day. So you don't want race day to be the first time you've ever tried a goo in your life or a block, a gel block or whatever they're called, um, like Gatorade chews, those kinds of things or cliff blocks. You don't want the first time you've ever tried those things to be on race day. 
So you want to try to find something that works for you and practice that during your long runs. When I very first started running long distances, like my very first marathon, I used Gatorade chews and I didn't have any basis for the timing of when I ate those except for Google, if I remember correctly. So I think every 30 minutes I was popping like three to six Gatorade chews. By the time I got to 18 miles, I was literally sitting with my head in my hands, like my head between my knees, trying not to throw up. And I've never done that again. It just left a bad taste in my mouth, literally and figuratively. And so I don't, I don't even use chews for training anymore, <laughs> mainly for that reason. But after working with Amy, the running dietitian for all of 2021, I ended up finding a, a fueling plan that worked for me specifically really well after some trial and error. And that's how it's going to be for you most likely too. What works for me may not work for you. I know people that fuel every 45 minutes. I personally fuel every 35 minutes on runs over 90 minutes. So maybe we should start with that. The generalized rule of thumb is anytime you're going to be running for 90 minutes or longer, you want to fuel and have something to have calories. That's what I do. So every 35, if I know I'm going to be out there for 90 minutes or more, at the 35 minute mark, I start fueling. My go-tos for long runs are glucose packets, which is a liquid form of carbohydrates. It tastes like fruit punch, does not hurt my stomach. I love how it tastes and it gives me energy and it just, it's perfect. I shouldn't say it's perfect, but I love it. That's probably my favorite thing. I also use applesauce pouches, like, you know, those go-go squeezes that babies eat. I use those as well. Another great idea that I got from the running dietitian. And then my third option that I always have with me on long runs is the Goo brand gels. So, and I like the lemon sublime flavor. I don't like chocolate or coffee. I love coffee, but not for a gel. So... Those are my three go-tos on long runs. Now, some people cannot stomach gels or goos or anything like that, and they want to use whole foods when they're running long distances. So I've heard of people that use pretzels, dates, boiled potatoes, even mashed potatoes in Ziplocs. I've seen people use those. Um, I said pretzels. Some people use M&Ms, gummy bears there's Sam peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, all kinds of things that you can use. The most important thing is you have to find something that works for you. This is going to take trial and error. This is going to take playing around with because what works for me may not work for you. And what works for you sometimes may not work for you all the time. When I ran my first ultra a couple of months ago, I had all of my standard things with me. I had my goose with me and I had my glucose and I had my applesauce, but it got to the point after like nine, 10 hours of being out there that I could not stand anything sugary like that. Like a goo is like, ugh, I was not going to stomach that. The only thing I was able to stomach after some of the, after being out there that long was those glucose, they're, they're liquid packets basically. And it's, it's like you're drinking fruit punch. I was able to handle that every time and it didn't mess with my stomach. And obviously that was a trail race. So there were times I was able to grab some pretzels. I was able to grab half a, 
a peanut butter sandwich, I was able to grab some kind of a turkey, half a turkey sandwich, which did not agree with me. Like I said, that's a trail race. It's it's different. You're probably not going to find turkey sandwiches at an aid station during a road marathon or a road half marathon. But you have to play around with what works for you and you need to be practicing this on your long runs. So you're probably just going to have to go out and buy some things and just start experimenting. That's what I had to do. That's what most people have to do. Some people can wait 45 minutes before they start fueling on a run over 90 minutes. Some people wait an hour. Some people go by miles. It's it's highly individualized. And so I wish I could help more. But all I can say is what I do. And, I, you know, you might have to play with it. Try 45 minutes at first. And if that feels great, then use 45 minutes every 45 minutes during your long run. I found, I think I started out with 45 minutes and I found that I was lagging in energy by the time I got to 45 minutes. And so I cut back to 35 minutes and that seems to be the trick for me specifically. So work on that, try that out and start practicing on all of your runs longer than 90 minutes. The other thing I wanted to talk about quickly is carb loading. For a half marathon, I typically don't, I don't want to say I don't necessarily carb load, but I I guess I don't. I just start the day before a half marathon, I increase my carb intake. So rather than cutting down on the amount of calories or uh, upping the amount of calories that I'm eating, instead, I will swap something out in my normal meal for a carb heavy option. So I will add rice or add a baked potato or add mashed potatoes instead of whatever I was going to have on the side instead. And I will cut down on fat and I will cut down on, I will have a little bit less protein than, than what I probably normally would. And I will just increase my, my, I will make more of my plate carbs than anything else. And typically simple carbs. So vegetables are not always the best choice from experience and from what I've heard. Um, Anything that is high fiber, you don't really want to focus on that the night before a big race because you might have the runs and it's just not a great thing. So the goal of carb loading is to replenish your, is to, I don't want to say replenish, but it is to Get your muscles as full of glycogen as possible before race day so that you have got that juice to keep going uh, for miles and miles. And then, you know, of course, as you're running, you are fueling during the run, you're replenishing those glycogen stores that you're using up by burning all of that energy when you're running. So typically for half marathon, I'll have a nice carb heavy dinner, maybe spaghetti with meat sauce and bread skip the salad because it's too high in fiber, skip the fatty dressings and fatty things like that. Um, For one thing, I don't have a gallbladder and I don't handle fat well. Um, But for another thing, that could add to uh, GI distress on the day of your race. So that's just something to think about. Now, when I'm running a full marathon, I start the week before the full marathon maybe not necessarily on Monday if the race is on Saturday, but for sure by Tuesday or Wednesday, I'm increasing my carb intake like I already explained. So it's not that I'm not having any fat or any protein, 
but I am just making sure that I really concentrate on getting plenty of carbs in that week so that my muscles are as full of glycogen as they can be before race day. One other tip is the night before your race, you're half or you're full. You've had your carb heavy meal, but you finished early and it's almost bedtime and you are either hungry or it's been a few hours. I would probably, what I've done before, have a carb, carby snack before bed, whether that be a bagel or, you know, something like that, something before bed that is a carby snack that just kind of keeps me going and helps me sleep. My go-to for race morning, whether I'm running a half or a full, is a peanut butter bagel. So I take a plain bagel, put a thin layer of peanut butter on it, and I eat that about an hour and a half before the start of the race. Whether I'm running a half or a full, I also add half of a banana. I usually can't stomach a whole banana, but I add half a banana if I can. If I can stomach it, I do. Sometimes I can't. I'm too nervous and I can't eat even the banana, but I always down that bagel. And then 15 minutes before the start of the race, I will eat the other half of the banana or I will take a, a gel just to give myself that added, you know, boost before the race starts. And then once I start running, then the 35 minutes, every 35 minutes. So I, that's just what I do. And again, I emphasize to you, I am not a nutritionist, a run coach, a specialist in running. I, these are just all my own experiences, things that I've learned over the last five years, things that I've learned from Amy, the running dietitian on Instagram, things that I've learned from other runners, things that I've just tried out for myself. Today, we've talked about how awesome you are for running your first half or your first full. We've talked about fueling pace groups, aid stations, bib pickup, expos, wearing your chip on the front of your body, nothing new on race day, getting fitted for running shoes, A, B, and C goals, and how your main goal should just be to finish. This has been episode 11 of the Fun of the Run podcast called So You Want to Run a Marathon? I hope something I've said has resonated with you. This was very basic information. And if you've already been out there running forever and doing a bunch of races, you probably just want to turn me off and I don't blame you a bit. But I hope something that I said today helps even one person. If it helps even one of you, it will have been absolutely worth it. So thank you again for joining me. And I hope that I'll see you next time on the Fun of the Run podcast.